Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Is a Messiah coming, and if so, when? An article that came out from Israel Today back in 2020 says the top rabbis are looking at the signs and declaring that Messiah is coming. Such turmoil must herald the coming of the Messiah, they say. Another says Israel's biggest rabbis are all afraid to leave the country lest they miss Messiah's country or coming. Another just tells us, well, the reason Messiah isn't here is still a mystery. But Messiah will just show up. He may be any of us. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms, and I trust today will be no exception, as we talk about the Jewish view of Messiah, Mashiach, the Anointed One, the Holy One of Israel. And so today, we take a look at this, and quite frankly, you may think you know. Of course, we all think we know what we think we know, But the problem is that many of us don't know what we think we know, particularly about Messiah, particularly about the Jewish view of Messiah, and even the Jewish people don't know. Oh, there are ideas, all kinds of ideas, but today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at what those look like and why it might be important. So, again, I welcome you to Viewpoint. A conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Forms. In 2021, February 5th, an article appeared on the Accidental Talmudist. It was an interview, actually it, it appeared on a Sheva Israel National News. It was from an article called The Accidental Talmudist, and it was an interview with Rabbi Reuven Wilt. And here are some of the things that he said <coughs> excuse me, about Messiah about the coming of Messiah, he said the Mashiach, Messiah, will just show up. He may be any one of us. Now, what do you understand from that? The Jewish people believe not in a divine Messiah, but a Messiah who is human, just like you and just like me. Now, why do they believe that? Because Moses said that God was going to raise up one just like me who would lead the people. And so they take that to mean that Moses said that the Messiah would be just like him, just a mere man, just like him. According to this particular interview, the main truth of Messiah is an awareness to see that the true energy in the physical world to see the true energy in the physical world. He also said the goal is to receive higher, higher, higher levels of consciousness and awareness of godly consciousness that will be Moshiach or Messiah. He went on to say that in the days of the Messiah, the Holy Temple is going to be a magnet for the entire world. The hub of humanity will be Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world, he said. This is so many.
after direct quotes. He went on to say that the unholy is not comfortable with the restoration of Jerusalem and the building of the temple. For Mashiach, or the Messiah, to come, Israel has to be a Jewish place, he said. It takes for the Jewish people to live in the land of Israel, to set the stage for this incredible divine download. There is a great struggle to keep that from happening, he said. But he also said the reason the Messiah isn't here is still a mystery. Well, is it? And to what extent is it a mystery? And is a Messiah, is the Mashiach, is the Holy One, the Anointed One of Israel coming? And if he's anointed, is he a mere man? According to the Jewish understanding, Orthodox Jewish understanding, not liberal Orthodox Jewish understanding, the Messiah, when he comes, will be a mere man. I want you to consider the implications of that. Because if he's a mere man, he's going to die. And if he's going to die, then what's going to happen after he dies? Is there any kind of eternal vision among the Jewish people, a real eternal vision concerning Messiah? Or is it a kind of alternate eternal vision that Israel as a land, as a country, or as whatever it is, among the Jewish people, will continue to rule the world until whenever. Some believe the end of time, others believe forever. But there would be no actual living Messiah other than a temporal figure who would be like Moses. Do we have your attention yet? I hope so. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to be asking the question, who is this? Because there are many things in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, that talk about the coming of a Messiah. The unfortunate thing is that traditions have become like a shroud that continues to envelop the very idea of a Messiah and his very identity. And that's why we want to talk about that here today on Viewpoint. Messiah's identity demands that we have to reconcile truth and tradition. <clears throat> and truth and tradition have to become, shall we say, congruent in order for tradition to be true and for truth to verify tradition. But unfortunately, that means that each one has to be indistinguishable from the other, truth and tradition. So for truth, truth would demand that tradition be wrapped completely without any observable difference by the truth that it must support. And that's perhaps the greatest challenge to both Jew and Gentile in, shall we say, unveiling the mystery of the ages because we humans inevitably create and embrace traditions that supersede, override truth upon which we claim our traditions rest. That's a problem both for Jews and it's a problem for Gentile professing Christians. So, as you probably know, the deepest rooted traditions regarding Messiah are found in both the Torah, that is the first five books of Moses, and the Tanakh, that is the law, the wisdom, literature, and the prophets, the Old Testament. Historic biblical Judaism embraces these sources as the ultimate, consummate expression of truth 
upon which Jewish traditions have been established. Now, the same could be arguably claimed by conservative Bible-believing Christians, the difference being an interpretation of various passages, particularly those related to the coming Messiah. So, today, we want to take a look at the Jewish view of Messiah, and then by definition or by implication, it will help us to contrast that with the view of professing Christians. So I welcome you aboard. Should we call it the evolution of Judaism and the Christian church with regard to Messiah? I don't know if that's a correct term or not, but you might see why it might be used. Is the Mashiach a man or a movement? Is he actually a person? Or is it just a messianic age? We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It was just a couple of years ago that one of the leading radio media voices in Israel joined us here on Viewpoint from Jerusalem. And in that interview, the individual made clear, abundantly clear, wanted to make sure that it was not misunderstood. She said, we are not looking for a divine messiah. We do not expect a divine Messiah. We expect a human being like Moses. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Who might such a person be? What would be the characteristics of such a person? He doesn't live forever. Was he born? Where would he be born? To whom would he be born? And how would he have been raised? And on what basis would he even come into some sort of a connection as being Messiah? And what characteristics would you look for to determine whether or not he was Messiah? Or she, in this age of feminism, how would anybody ever identify the Messiah if you're not looking for a divine Messiah? And if you are looking for a divine Messiah, what characteristics would you then look for that might enable you to rationalize that a man was indeed divine or God? Now, that's the dilemma that we have. That's the dilemma that Jewish people have. That's the dilemma that Christians have. And quite frankly, it's the dilemma that the Bible makes clear when it talks about a figure called the Antichrist. Now, obviously, Jewish people are not believing in Christ for, for the most part. About 12,000 in Israel claim to be Messianic Jews, uh, that is, believing in Jesus or Yeshua as Messiah. But basically speaking, there are very, very few Jews that believe in Jesus, Yeshua, as Messiah. 
So what do they believe? And where is the hope? Where is the hope? Is there an eternal hope? Is it a temporal hope? And how would they even identify such a figure? Well, that's the dilemma that both the Jewish people and the entire world faces, including professing Christians who claim to be of the seed of David by grafting into Israel. But the unfortunate reality is that even Christians are very confused when it comes to the issue of Messiah. In fact, the scriptures make it quite plain that the majority of people on this planet will be so confused concerning the identity of Messiah that they will, in fact, embrace a counterfeit. Yet all the warnings concerning that are addressed to professing Christians. Why would that be? They're not addressed to Jews. They're addressed to professing Christians. In fact, the only place in reality, two places in the Bible, in which there seems to be a warning addressed to Jews in that regard has to do with the warning of Isaiah chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 28, we find that uh, the prophet Isaiah, God speaking through him, is talking to the Jewish people and saying that they are going to enter into a covenant, a nasty covenant. Now, they're not going to believe that it's a nasty covenant. They're going to believe that it's a a really great thing that's going to unify them and bring peace on earth, and uh, it's going to resolve a lot of problems, maybe resolve problems with regard to the rebuilding of the temple. Maybe it's going to resolve problems with uh, dealing with the Palestinian issue. Who knows? All of those problems... Apparently, this covenant is going to seem to be the latest thing, the best thing since sliced bread. Far beyond sliced bread. The answer to the question of the ages. And Isaiah said, or God says through Isaiah, that they entered into a covenant with death. Now, that's not mincing any words. God didn't mince any words. He said they're going to enter into a covenant with death. That's not a pretty picture, which means there's something so dastardly about that covenant that they do not recognize or are willing to take a leap of faith, so to speak, that is undeserved and irrational because they want so badly to achieve a certain goal, perhaps, the rebuilding of the long-lost temple. What a lure that would be. What an attraction that would be, because it's the the clearest thing to expressing the identity of the Jewish people in Israel, certainly, and worldwide. The rebuilding of the temple. Until that happens, they have no means of atonement. Because the temple was required in the Torah, the first five books of Moses, was absolutely necessary, first the tabernacle and then replaced by the temple, before they could have the requisite sacrifices to atone for their sin. Without the temple, they were not permitted under the Torah to offer the sacrifices. Therefore, there is no atonement for sin. 
And they know that. Since 70 A.D., when the Romans destroyed the temple, the second temple, the temple of Jesus' time, there has been no biblical atonement for sin for the Jewish people because they rejected Messiah. They rejected Jesus as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, who was sacrificed once and for all for their sin. Therefore, there's only thing. the only thing left is a rationalized form of, shall we say, atonement for sin. And that is what is called mitzvah or good works. The rabbis came up with the idea. They said, but this is better than the atonement. This is really good stuff. We'll do good works. And so out of that comes the whole idea that developed of Tikkun Olam, which is the redemption of the world through good works. So that means, in effect, that every person becomes their own savior. Every person becomes, in effect, their own Messiah, just like this rabbi said. This rabbi that we read about, he said, the Messiah will just show up. He might be any of us. Maybe he's all of us. If we're all doing these good works, then each one of us becomes pseudo-divine in our own right. And if the whole world, starting with the Jewish people, becomes pseudo-divine in their own right, then, in fact, everyone becomes a god in their own right. And who could possibly argue with eight billion gods on the planet if we're all god? And that problem has been brought to light just in the last two days in the United States of America with regard to one of the Republican candidates for president. He's a very well-spoken person. He has many wonderful, great ideas. And he is Hindu. So people are asking him, well, in a, a nation that has grown up with a Christian tradition and understanding as its foundation, then why should we elect you as a Hindu, a confirmed Hindu, to be our president? And here's his answer. I believe in one God, just like you do. Are you listening? He says, I believe in one God, just like you do. Now, I don't know how he can say that because there are 300 million uh, gods, so to speak, within Hinduism. I believe that's a reasonably accurate number if you could count them. It's a lot of people, a lot of gods. But he believes in one God. But that's what George W. Bush said. You remember after Gulf War One. One of the very first things he said was, Jews, Muslims, and Christians all worship the same God. Now, if that be true, they would all have the same Messiah. Right? But he didn't leave it there. About two weeks later, he said, and by the way, all religions worship the same God. Therefore, all religions would have the same Messiah, right? Well, how could they all have the same Messiah when 
Islam claims that it's blasphemy worthy of death to claim that Jesus died on the cross as Messiah. Something's wrong with our understanding, with our picture. And so we have this sincere desire to see unity, 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 this our cry, we are the world, will bring everybody together in this wonderful, peaceful harmony, which is called by Reformed Jews the Messianic Age. And so in front of me is an article that I printed out from that famous site of absolute authority called Wikipedia. It's called Messianic Age. It says, in Abrahamic religions, the Messianic Age is the future period of time on earth in which the Messiah will reign and bring universal peace and brotherhood without any evil. And many believe that there will be such an age, some refer to it as the consummate kingdom of God or the world to come. Well, that's true. That's a true statement, but it's not all true. According to Jewish tradition, the Messianic era will be one of global peace and harmony, an era free of strife and hardship. That's what the word shalom means, friends. It's a bringing together of all aspects, emotional and political, and all of that coming together in one composite called shalom, peace and prosperity. The famous Jewish fellow, Maimonides, described the Messianic era this way. And at that time, there will be no hunger or war, no jealousy or rivalry. The people of Israel will be of great wisdom. They will perceive the esoteric truths and comprehend their creator's wisdom, as is the capacity of man. And according to the Talmud and the Midrash, which are additional religious documents uh, put together by the rabbis in Israel, and the ancient Kabbalistic, uh, or Kabbalistic work, the Zohar, the Messiah must arrive before the year 6,000, from the time of creation. Oh, well, that starts putting a time frame on things. So where are we? Where are we? Where do the Jewish people believe that we are in the 6,000 years since creation? Well, they believe that it's somewhere around 5780-something, I think it is, the latest. So in other words, we would be over 200 years away, right now, over 200 years away from the 6,000th year since creation, according to the calculations of the rabbis and Archbishop Usher. So there is a sense that, indeed, the Messiah would come, the Messianic age would be about 6,000 years after Creation. So when was creation? We had a gentleman on this program a number of months ago who thought he had, had he he thought he had it all figured out, and uh, uh, he had done a masterful job of trying to work things out and so on, and uh, he thought that he could calculate out within a few years exactly when that would be. I think it's a dangerous thing to try to do that. One of the reasons it's dangerous is because so many people have tried to do it. Another reason it's so dangerous is because it causes us to think that somehow 
you and I can determine the day and the hour of Christ's coming or the Messiah's coming, however you're looking at Jew or Gentile, when the scripture says no man knows the day or the hour. So the answer is, well, yeah, we don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the season. And I agree with that. But when is that season? You see, in order to understand that, you've got to understand when the creation took place. Archbishop uh, Usher says it began at 4 B.C., as we understand the calendar. Is that true? Well, that's his viewpoint, and he's done massive calculations to approve it. The Jewish people tend to have a similar kind of idea, but then when you count down, they're nowhere near 6,000, except Archbishop Usher is. So where are we? What are we to expect? What are the Jewish people expecting with regard to Messiah? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're taking a look at the matter of Messiah, but particularly from the Jewish viewpoint. Viewpoint determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. And so the Jewish viewpoint determines destiny in some way. So do Christian viewpoints. So do the variety of Christian viewpoints. Viewpoints are not neutral. You may think you have the right to your viewpoint, which you do, but that doesn't mean there are no consequences to the viewpoint that you have. That's the problem with our ability to speak freely. You have the right and the ability to speak freely. It's called free speech. But not all free speech is free. It's not free of consequences. And therein lies the problem. And we don't seem to recognize that. Because somehow, particularly in America, we begin to interpret the, conce- the, the concept of free speech as, in effect, each one of us is a little God speaking God's word because we're God. Don't you understand? I am who I am. As Rene Descartes, the French philosopher, said, in cogito ergo sum, I am, I think, therefore I am, therefore I am. So it makes all of us our little I am's. God says, I am the I am, but we indirectly say, no, not really quite. I'm the I am. I'm going to be my own I am because my viewpoint is just as important as God's viewpoint. Or the Jewish person, maybe an Orthodox Jew, says, well, my viewpoint is the the right viewpoint because of our tradition. Yet Jesus said, who was a Jew, 
speaking to the Jewish leaders of his day, he said, you by your traditions do make the word of God of none effect. So tradition doesn't define truth. Truth has to define tradition. And if they don't coincide, we've got a problem. So what is the Jewish tradition regarding where we are in time with regard to the Messianic age and the coming of Messiah? And if indeed what I'm about to share with you is true, then how could rabbis say Messiah is coming? Look at the signs. He's already at the door. I'm reading the headline for Israel today. Messiah is coming. He's already at the door. Here's another one from Arut Sheva, Israel National News. I feel like the Messiah is coming. These are historic times. Yeah, I agree. They are historic times. But what time is it? When I was studying French in high school and then a, a year in college, I don't remember much of it, but I do remember this phrase. Kelur etil. Kelur etil. You might want to remember that phrase. Kelur etil. You know what it means? What time is it? So you go into France, you can go wherever you, they speak French, and you say, Kelur etil, and they say, oh, they give you the time. What time is it? So let's use that same phrase and ask ourselves together, what time is it with regard to the coming of Messiah? How would you answer that question? Undoubtedly, you may likely, the majority of people listening to this program, are uh, Gentiles, and most are professing Christian Gentiles. But not all. One of our regular and uh, uh, respected guests, Dr. Michael Brown, is a Jew, inside out. But he's also a believer in Messiah, Yeshua as Messiah. He's been on this program many times. And we value his viewpoint. But today, we, in order to get a perspective, a picture of Jewish thinking with regard to the coming Messiah, and then by implication, put that on top of professing Christian thinking, we might just actually come away with something that might make a difference in your life today. That's why we're talking about this. Otherwise, it's just information. God never commanded us to be informed, but rather to be transformed, right? That we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Information leads to sometimes frustration because there's too much information. It also leads to pride. God's not interested in pride. He hates it. But when information is applied properly... It can lead to transformation in the light of God and the authority of his word. That's our goal. Before we go further today, I want to make available to you my latest book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Chapter 20, what is it? Chapter 29, I believe. 27 is called, Who is This? It's talking about Messiah's identity. How would we identify Messiah? Was Yeshua actually the awaited Messiah? Would he be a man? And who is the son of man that Jesus talked about? Would Messiah also be divine or a deity? Who is this king? Could the Messiah be born? And if so, where? 
Where would he be born? How would we identify the Messiah? How would a Jewish person identify Messiah? Where there are two passages presented very provocatively by the book of Isaiah, chapter 52 and 53. They are two chapters that the rabbis almost steadfastly refuse to read in any synagogue. Why? Because those two chapters reveal almost beyond a doubt the characteristics of Messiah. Are you listening? And, quite frankly, friends, there are things that our Christian pastors won't read either because they reveal things that, well, are just considered too troubling to their congregations. Might cost them some membership, might cost them some uh, flow of funds for the new building program, and so on. Here's our problem. First of all, I want you to get a copy of the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, $22 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. Remember the the, the uh, rabbi said, the coming of the Messiah is a mystery. But God wants us to understand that mystery, but we have to give ourselves to the understanding of the mystery. That's what the book is about. In my hands is an interesting article that came out the other day. A question. Actually, it came in as a statement. The bride is behind on wedding preparations. The bride is behind on wedding preparations. Now, you know, if you've had any experience with weddings, maybe you had a daughter or even your your wife that you had engaged to, and you know the problems related to preparing for a wedding. One of the things that's preeminent to the bride is getting her wedding gown. And she wants to make sure it's just right. Fits her to a T and just displays her in all of the grandeur that she could be displayed to her groom as he comes down the aisle. Well, the same, you see, is true or should be true for those who are awaiting Messiah, whether Jew or Gentile. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. He was a Jew. He says, I am preparing you, talking about the Gentile church that were not very clean uh, sexually. He said, but I am preparing you as a chaste virgin for the coming of Christ. In other words, he was saying, I am preparing you as a bride for the wedding. So get ready. Now, among other things, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, now don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor practicing homosexuals, nor people who are 
just continually uh, angry and a variety of other things, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they're not prepared for the wedding. I don't care how many confessions they made of faith, they're not prepared. He said, you're not getting in because Christ is not going to receive a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Now, the same has to be true with a Jewish Messiah, even if he's if he's a man. The whole idea is be prepared. So within the Orthodox community, there is indeed some level of cry, hey, we've got to be involved in some kind of preparation. What is that preparation? Good works. Good works. Mitzvah, good works. Because they have no salvation. They don't even believe in eternal salvation, per se. They have no remittance of sin because they cannot shed blood. The sacrifices are not permitted because there's no temple. And so they have to do good works. This is the preparation that they're trying to make. Some, not very many, but but some. Within the, within the Christian community, believing that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, we don't have to offer that sacrifice every day or every year as they do. On the other hand, we do have to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And we must not be conformed to this world, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, so this is all about preparing. If you are not prepared, and being prepared does not mean a mere confession of faith. My wife says, you can tell me you love me every day. Show me. Now it's show and tell time, friends. It's show and tell time. The Messiah is coming soon. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. So what time is it? What time is it for the Jewish people? What time is it for professing Christians? What time is it in world history? Are we on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ, or are we on the near edge of the first coming of Messiah from the Jewish perspective? 
Well, the Jewish people say they believe largely, going back, that Messiah would come, the Messianic age would come after 6,000 years of uh, world history, man on earth, since the creation. So, where are we? Well, according to the rabbis, we're somewhere around 5780, somewhere in there. So, there's about 220 years, something like that, uh, remaining until the 6,000 years. Is that a true figure? Can that be relied upon? Would you stake your life on it? I hope not. Because even within rabbinical circles, they realize that even though that's their tradition, their tradition isn't necessarily based on truth because they have lost some timing early on in their history, perhaps even intentionally for ulterior motives. So maybe we are right close to 6,000 years. Let's suppose we are. Let's suppose we're very close to 6,000 years. Now what? What should be Israel's attitude, the Jewish people's attitude? What should be Christians' attitude? Well, it should be people get ready. You see, God supposedly married Israel at Mount Sinai. God entered into a marriage covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. And guess what? They broke it over and over again. God said, I divorce you, but he never remarried. I want you to listen to that. God said, I divorce you, but he never remarried. Why didn't he remarry? Because he espoused himself only to one bride. And that is God's position with regard to marriage today. Never changed for Jew or Gentile. Jesus confirmed it. Paul confirmed it. But we don't like it. It's all about a marriage. It's all about getting ready. It's all about betrothal. It's all about being prepared as a chaste virgin for Christ. You say, well, I'm not a virgin. Well, but what Christ comes to do is cleanse us from all sin if we'll confess it. He said, I won't hold that against you or count it against you. But if we don't cooperate with his analysis, we're stuck with it. The same is true with Jewish people. They're stuck. They don't even have the hope of a divine Messiah to cleanse them from all sin. No hope. And the only hope is to somehow bring about some nice good things for Israel. So what are some of those nice good things? Well, here is a list from one, a political leader who will overthrow their enemies, who will rule Jerusalem and receive homage from other nations, who will make Jerusalem a political center, who will be preceded by cosmic signs, who will be a descendant of David, who would come after the return of Elijah, who would not associate with sinners, Gentiles, and the poor. In other words, Gentiles, yeah. Who would uphold Judaism and will perform miracles. The Messianic kingdom would be accomplished through God's judgment on Israel's enemies. Or, 
Here are the statement of expectations of the Jews about the Messiah. He would come out of the house of David. He was to liberate the Jews from the rule of the Romans. This is what they looked for in the days of Yeshua. To liberate the Jews from the rule of the Romans, to restore the kingdom of God, to do great things for Israel, to be a perfect king, to establish ultimate peace and joy, and to lead them into a time of great national power and prosperity. That's the vision or hope of Israel. It's called Tikvat Israel, the hope of Israel. But where is Messiah in the midst of it? When top rabbis say, as I'm looking at the headline right now, came out on February 12th, 2020 from Israel Today, Look at the signs Messiah is coming. All the great rabbis of this generation are saying that the Messiah is about to reveal himself. The signs predicted in the Gemara, the Mishnah, the Midras, everything is taking place one by one. So, this rabbi said, urge the Jews every day to commit themselves to Torah observance, in particular keeping Shabbat. Orthodox Judaism has long taught the Messiah will only come once all Jews are sanctifying Shabbat. Oh, well, what is Shabbat? Shabbat, my friends, believe it or not, is the end of the work week. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, where God finishes up his creation... He then says, I finished my work, and he set apart the seventh day to rest. The Bible says he sanctified it. In other words, he set it apart. Why did God set apart the seventh day as Shabbat, or the day to cease man's labor just as God ceased his labor? Because it was a prophetic foretelling, friends, of the end of the age when Messiah, the Prince of Peace, who would be the living Shabbat, would come to rule the people. That's what it is. So if we desecrate and don't revere and don't see what God was doing in his word through the appointment of the Sabbath, No wonder we're missing the points with regard to his coming, whether Jew or Gentile. One rabbi, he was just about to leave for a trip abroad when Rabbi Konevsky stopped him saying, you're going abroad? You don't know that the Messiah is standing at the door. Well, is he at the door? Remember, in Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you know what he was talking to? He was not talking to the unbelievers. He was talking to professing believers, those who claim to have made a confession of faith. And he says, 
I'm standing at your door and knocking. Is there anybody in there that will hear my voice? Is there anybody in there that is ready for me? Is there anybody in there that has cleaned up the corners of their household and is ready to receive me as the bridegroom? See, that's really the issue. It's not about when Messiah is coming. It's that he's coming. And we see the times. Even the rabbis are saying, in fact, here's one. An Israeli rabbi says he's already holding meetings with Messiah. (laughs) That's right. He's afraid to leave the country because the people will miss the Messiah. He said so on radio. (laughs) Look. You may think we're kind of dancing around here, but we're not dancing around. We're trying to get to the fundamental heart issue. Talk of Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, coming to make Israel the head of all nations, doesn't sit very well with the majority of Earth's national leaders. Have you noticed that? That's why rising anti-Semitism. It's called Jewish persecution. That's what anti-Semitism is. The world, the Gentile world despises the idea, the very idea that God says, I chose you. Therefore, by virtue of implication, the same world despises Christians, true followers of Jesus Christ, where Christ says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. They say, no way. No way, Jose, you are not, we're not going to receive you. The whole world is eaten with envy, my friends, over chosenness. So the messianic mania that we're beginning to witness today is just another end times indicator for prophecy watchers to take Israel's cry for their Messiah seriously, and yet, Unfortunately, in the midst of it all, they'll receive a false savior. That's exactly what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 28. Jesus took those words and he applied them. Yeshua took those words and applied them this way. He said, I came to you in my father's name and you did not receive me. But there is one coming in his own name and him you will receive. That, my friends, is what Isaiah 28 was talking about. The ultimate covenant with death. It is going to put both Jew and Gentile in a terrifying situation. Because this counterfeit Messiah will put the world's people into the ultimate final solution. where Satan will use the rage that comes from it to rid the world of both Jew and Gentile, Christian. That's the whole idea. We will not have this God to reign over us. The Jewish people said, the Jewish leaders said to Pontius Pilate, we will not have this man to reign over us. Speaking about Yeshua, they said his blood be upon us and our children. 
all of us, whether Jew or Gentile, should be crying, his blood be upon us and our children. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Both Jew and Gentile now are being called into a position of unrighteousness before God. And both must repent. Both must repent. The message of repentance is replete for the Tanakh, the Torah, and the New Testament. It is the fundamental message that God brings to the world at this moment in time. It is the ultimate messianic message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel or the good news. Repent and get your life right, because Messiah is coming. He's coming quickly. Many Jews believe that God will one day send a Messiah who will lead the world into an age of peace and understanding. The word Messiah, Mashiach, in Hebrew means anointed one. It comes from the time when kings were anointed as a sign of their God-given power. But the book of Jeremiah in the Tanakh states that the Messiah will be great leader descended from King David. And Yeshua was of the descendants of David. I want to urge you to get a copy of the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Oh, my friends, just that one chapter, 27, we haven't hardly even scratched the surface today. It will open your eyes. It's time for us, friends, to understand more deeply what is happening in our world. God's trying to prepare us and warn us. $22 will put the book in your hand. It's on our website, saveus.org. Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today, and let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes, through Messiah. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.